This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Eve and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. So Westminster is reeling from day two of finding out that Sue Gray, the senior civil servant, will be joining Keir Starmer as chief of staff, provided the process to approve that appointment as uh, goes through. Katie, how has the reaction been in the last 24 hours? Or less than, actually. Fiery. So news first broke earlier this week that it was being considered. And I think since the news has broken, in a way... uh, I think it's fairly predictable what's happened in the sense the Tory party has seen red. I think MPs across the spectrum in terms of the various factions um, are troubled by this appointment, saying what does it say about impartiality and the fact that it's such a a sudden move if it is approved. There are some calls from Tory MPs for Rishi Sunak to block it. Um, There's... Uh, there was, there's some humour in it. I think Sue Gray and her role has made you know, quite a few enemies in her time. So, for example, on the Tory WhatsApp group, uh, there is a situation where you had Paul Holmes, who's a Tory MP, used to be a special advisor, and Sue Gray had a, a role in terms of discipline and, and actually just being above the frame with issues. Um, so uh, said lots of former special advisors would like to you know, share their view on this, which I think we can say to say is, not a positive view. That led Damien Green to say, and former ministers, now Damien Green left his position after a Sue Gray investigation. And then Boris Johnson replied saying, and former PMs, obviously also trying to suggest Sue Gray uh, <laughs> is at fault. So you can see the beginnings of a of, of what is, you know, a, t- a Tory agenda to say this person may have been behaving improperly direct you know, during periods of their long career in Whitehall. And I think particularly on Partygate, Mm. you're seeing a lot of Tory MPs coming out and saying, well, this makes Partygate look awful. Now, I think it is unideal, um, the fact that Sue Gray has decided to take a job with Keir Starmer in his most important role in his team, um, straight from having a position where she is supposed to be neutral and fair, I think if we look at the various, you know, interviews around the time Partygate, lots of ministers said she she was that. So I, I think you can say it's a bad look and it raises questions for the civil service because there are officials who don't like the fact that she has done this but it, i think that is you've got to I, I would personally stop short of saying that means party gate was all part of a, a labor coup and um, because she's a sleeper agent or anything like that <laughs> because ultimately party gate existed long before sue gray she wasn't even supposed to do the original report the the fact that she did this was because simon case and mm-hmm. um, we'll talk about later on this podcast too um he was too embroiled in it so had to recuse himself and the Sue Gray report came after you know, the various disclosures. But I think this is interesting because we're speaking just as a privileges committee investigation to Boris Johnson. It's about to get up and running so we could get evidence very soon. And it does rely on the Sue Gray report. So you're already seeing how I think supporters of Boris Johnson who have been saying this uh, inquiry, this investigation is a stitch up from very early on, can now use this to say, well, you're relying on a report written by someone who is now Keir Starmer's right-hand woman. Fraser, there's also a concern that because Sue Gray was heading up the Ethics and Propriety Office for the Civil Service between 2012 and 2018, Conservative government years, that she knows a lot about the skeletons in the closet when it comes to the Conservative Party. And if she were the Chief of Staff of Labour, is she really expected not to use any of what she knows? I mean, are you concerned about that? 
Not really. I mean, to be honest, by the time um, Labour after the, the next election, it shouldn't be too matter too much which Tories did what when. I mean, but she could help them win the next election. Well, given her current role, it's not so much that she knows uh, who, who did what bad things. She'll know a lot of weaknesses that the government have got right now. Um, I think that is the greater concern, that she will be sitting in lots of meetings where she will know what the top 10 internal headaches to the government are, what the top 10 vulnerabilities there are, what they're trying to do right, which went wrong, which the press haven't found out about. So to think that somebody who is embedded right at the very top of the cabinet office is about to go to be chief confessor to the leader of the opposition is just extraordinary. I mean, in any other line of work, this sort of move would be illegal. Um, I mean, people have it written into the contracts. If you're in a position, high position in one company, then you can't go after the competitors. In some certain positions, those, um, those sort of golden handcuffs are there, and for a very good reason. Now and again, you do get... I remember in 2009 um, that Labour were furious that they thought the Tories had a leak, a civil service leak, etc. And so now and again, you you do get this. And you also do get civil servants who decide through party allegiances where they're going to start feeding the other guy's information. But to actually wholesale acquire somebody who has been right at the very top of the most difficult problems the Tory government has faced and get them to be working for the leader of the opposition party, that hasn't happened before. We haven't had rules against it because you haven't really needed rules against it because it was so obvious this would be inappropriate, this would be abuse of a civil service, this would just be... And, and I think what Sue Gray has done is to really cast questions on the neutrality of that. I imagine there's going to have to be regulations now probably stopping people in her position from doing things like that. Otherwise, you're going to get a situation where government members are simply going to be coy around civil servants, thinking at any point any of you two could go, any of you guys could go to work for the opposition and tell them everything which we found out. So the, the phenomenon of the Matt Hancock... Um, um, WhatsApp messages might become a bit more regular if you can actually poach senior civil servants in, in, in the government. Yeah, I think the, the most recent former civil servant we've had in a chief of staff role was Dan Rosenfield. Um, but A, it didn't last particularly long. Um, and B, you had a situation whereby he'd had a clear time out. Um, it is not nearly as politically contentious as this is. Yeah. And Katie, um, news broke off this event yesterday when the Conservative Party were away in Windsor, Rishi Sunak's second time there in a very short period of time, um, for an away day. What happened there? So this is an away day that I think has been mooted by several prime ministers, because we've had a few, um, uh, always talked about as a Tory bonding activity. Um, first reported this away day in The Spectator um, a few weeks ago, but they managed to actually go ahead with it before it was cancelled because of COVID under Boris Johnson and so forth. It's been a big week for Windsor, hasn't it? Yeah. Huge. I, I don't she's got, clearly a massive fan of well, the place. <laughs> I wonder if they got some discount deal, to be honest. Um, be, it is the same hotel, Because it's the it? same hotel, so presumably <laughs> there's a group return booking situation going on there um and <laughs> though no prince charles at this one so um the guest speaker was instead michael howard uh, probably would have been a bit contentious to get the king back um and probably less less welcoming had that been the speaker for tory mps um but when it comes to the away day um so there are lots of breakout sessions you had isaac levito who was a strategist for the 2019 election speaking to them on polling um then there were breakout sessions you know targeting a message to your constituents and um, building e-communities demonstrating delivery to your constituents and beating the Lib Dems and independents. Um, so I think this is to try and get MPs in the mind of this is what you need to do, um, you know, to, to, 
ahead of local elections, but also more generally, particularly with lots of the newer MPs. Um, it comes on a pretty good week for Rishi Sunak, but ultimately, uh, conversation turned pretty quickly to uh, Sue Gray. Um, and I think that there was lots of uh, general unhappiness about that. And then you also had Boris Johnson obviously making his intervention yesterday, which got people talking. But, um, you know, speaking to a few MPs, I said, do you think Boris Johnson's intervention on the protocol where he said, as we talked about yesterday, he, he would find it very difficult to back, is hardening the mood in the Tory party? And they said, perhaps, you know, for some members of the European Research Group, but generally the sense among lots of MPs there was he needs to stop talking because it's more self-serving uh, than it is uh, helpful to the party. Now, the MPs who tend to go in their way days tend to be more loyal because they actually want to be there. Um, so, it's, so it's a little bit of a... Um, you've got to be aware of what the sample is, but I, I think that was uh, lots of the talk from the away day. Um, and then in the evening, they had their quiz. I think on Steer Park, we have some of the quiz questions. And they had Greg Hands mocked up as the chairman's arms in this kind of mock pub logo didn't they yes you had greg hands mocked up um and then uh, the quiz questions included great conservative election wins and great labor scandals lib dem failures so very on message as a, as an event and included uh, you know one question was uh, guess the price of angela rayner's airpods is for instance, is this a sign of a conservative party healing after a lot of years of acrimony maybe starting from before the brexit referendum and then it was covid and now they are having they're able to physically get back together again i'm not so sure it's, it's more of a sign of a truce i think and it's a fragile truce i was speaking to a minister who was saying uh, trying to think of ways of disrupting this um this away day uh, and it's like, she, she, very well behaved minister <laughs> like okay we, we, this, is, this is so corporate we, we can't allow this to carry on let's let's think of a way of causing mayhem and mischief you know Do they succeed? i don't know i'll have to call um call them back and, and find out um, uh, but uh, it's, it's a slightly weird. I mean, you know, what is the House of Commons if not a sort of corporate bonding thing? They're all sitting in the same benches. Every PMQs and they all cheer together. I'm not quite sure what purpose away day serves. It's kind of comic for a lot of them, really, because this is the kind of methods of a corporate away day are very different to the methods of um, um, normal politics. If Sunak, having pulled off this Brexit deal on Monday, is able to follow it up with something meaningful on small boats, for example, although I can't for the life of me see how he would do that. Mm. Um, or if his budget isn't as awful as um, everybody assumed it's going to be in a couple of weeks' um, time. Or if the May elections are going to be not quite the bloodbath everybody expects. That is what would help Sunak increase his sort of um, writ over a party, because he still is very acutely aware that he lost the leadership election that he is there on sufferance, and he's having to govern in coalition with factions, a lot of whom he doesn't agree with. So he still thinks he's having to, he's in the process of going through a post-facto kind of leadership election right now to win the trust of um, MPs who were all set to go for this trust when they were asked not so long ago. And finally, Fraser, speaking of senior civil servants, um, one character that has been dredged up through these WhatsApp messages released by The Telegraph is Simon Case in the latest tranche of releases. Um, tell us about what we've heard about what Simon Case has said. 
Well, having trolled through all of these messages, I was really quite struck to see Simon Case's name pop up again and again and again. And there's no indication that this is the head of the civil service talking. He reads like a, a, par- a partisan. Um, you've got him um, making some jokes saying that he's, um, how he wished he could see the faces of people leaving first class and being going into the, the Premier Inn shoebox hotel. Now, that kind of sentiment is, first of all, an appalling sentiment, but also I think is interesting, not so much because it makes him into a bad person. It shows you just how how sort of power-hungry they had become. But they were so used to making decisions that locked everybody up, they were actually felt able to joke about incarcerating people for what turns out to be no good reason inside inside hotel rooms. They, were, they weren't doing this with a heavy heart. They were, on occasion, being gleeful or um, gung-ho about the powers they had. In my Telegraph column today, I write about how the, the um, files as a whole show how the group started off being thoughtful and cautious, and that they get plunged into the centrifuge of lockdown, and within months later, they're now sounding like complete Praetorians, uh, laughing at how they send the police after people. And there's a lot more to come from Simon Case. I've seen some pretty shocking things from, from him, and the way that he gets involved in attacking anybody who is questioning the lockdown um, logic. And we're not talking about people in the Labour Party. We're not talking about fringe characters from outside. We're talking about other members of the cabinet Mm -hmm. who are asking basic questions, like, do we really need to make this compulsory? Can we make it advisory? Now, to even ask a question as mild as that is to invite the opprobrium, not just of Matt Hancock, but also of figures like Simon Case. And so, so we're going to see, and also the other very strange trend, is this word which they use to describe their opponents, conservative, right-wing. This is a pejorative. Now, strange language for... <laughs> From a conservative government. Conservative government, right? <laughs> but, but time and time again, the language, if anybody is making the liberal case, saying, hang on a minute, do we really need to lock everybody up? Do we really need to extend lockdown for so long? Anybody asking what is regarded as an unhelpful question is regarded as right-wing, far-right, hard-right, etc. And Simon Case is not immune from this sort of language. Well, that's one to watch. Fraser and Katie, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do rate and review.